whether you are someone who is a Christian or someone who doesn't really know if you believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, here's what we know about the topic of friendships. The topic of friendships affects what? Us all. It affects us all. In fact, uh, you know, an article published by the Mayo Clinic in 2019 on this uh, very topic of friendships said this, friendships enrich your life and improve your health. And it goes on, if you read the article, that's a very broad statement, I know, but it goes on to list all the scientific studies that have been conducted to bolster this uh, not really a hypothesis, but this reality that friendships enrich your life and improve your health. The same article went on to say that friendships can have a major impact on your health and well-being, but, and there is a but, <clears throat> it's not always easy to build or maintain friendships. How many of you know that friendships sometimes are hard? It's hard to build it's sometimes hard to maintain, okay? That doesn't change the fact that friendships are, uh, are, are, are things that affect us all. And at, at its core, it, it's good for us. Can we just all just agree on that fact, okay? So we're not really getting spiritual yet. We're just kind of just sitting here on this level of like, we can all agree that friendships, especially good ones, healthy ones, are good for us. At a basic level, the hope of this series really is to give you, no matter where you are on the faith spectrum, some things to consider that I believe can help you understand what makes a person a good friend and why learning to be a better friend is essential. Now, as I say this, I know that there are some people who will want to say, um, I'm, I don't know, Phil, I, I, I beg to disagree. I, I'm actually better when there aren't people around. Do you know anybody like that? You probably don't because they're by themselves right now. But I'm saying, right. there are people who say that, right? To those who are not looking to improve or build friendships, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to convince you to do so. In fact, I'll agree with you that what you probably, uh, I'll probably agree with that some of you actually have really good reasons why you maybe prefer isolation to relationships some people have personalities that lend them to choose a more isolated lifestyle that can be both healthy and normal. So I just want to admit that there's going to be some people that have a propensity towards isolation that is both healthy and normal. I will say that there are also some people who prefer isolation and avoidance of interaction with other people, not because it is healthy, but because maybe a lack of emotional or mental health that exists due to very significant trauma, right? Or, or maybe there is a, a mental or emotional health capacity to the reality of this avoidance of relationships and this embracing of isolation. And listen, if that's you, uh, we're not trying to offer solutions to those realities with those, this series. We're not trying to, to, to say, uh, just like I wouldn't say to someone who's experiencing depression, you should pray more. Okay, that's not what we're saying here. Okay? If you have real emotional health and, and emotional mental health uh, needs that you're dealing with, you should, that is something you should see a mental health professional about 
and you should find a loving church family to come alongside you as you get that help you need. Is that clear? I just want to say that because I'm going to go on and I'm going to assume that everyone with me is, is not in that category. And so we don't have the time to really address that. And honestly, I'm not trained to really address the wide variety of those kind of needs. And we don't have that time to really do that. And people spend years and years in clinical school to help people who have those kind of needs. So I just want to make that clear. Speaking of health professionals, I don't know if you know this, but countless numbers of health professionals, scholars, and researchers have studied and published their findings on the effect of friendships on the emotional and mental and physical health of human beings over the years. In fact, they've done it on more than just human beings. They've, they've actually tested it on, on, on animals and, and the effect of, of, of relationships. And, and, here's what, and here's what they found. Do you know what they found? They found this, that friendships are vital, that relationships are vital. And this is why I'm excited to talk about this topic of friendship, because at the end of the day, friendships literally affect every one of us. The second reason why I'm really excited about this topic is that as a follower of Jesus, as someone who says, yes, I am committing to increasingly learn to submit all of life to Jesus as master and savior, the subject is friendships. If you study the scriptures, if you look at the life of Jesus, you'll know that this subject of friendship was actually very important to Jesus. In fact, I believe And Danielle said this last week, so I'm going to steal it, and I'm going to say it for three weeks, and then you're going to think it's mine, but we all really know she's the one who said it first. But as we become better friends, we become better disciples. As you and I, who are followers of Jesus, become better friends, here's the interesting thing. We become better disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't you want to be a better disciple? Yeah, I do. So if you're someone who considers yourself a part of Clarity Church, and especially, especially if you have given me the permission to be some kind of pastoral voice in your life, I need you to know this. Our effectiveness at maturing as disciples of Jesus and being disciples who effectively make disciples of people within our circles of influence is dependent, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, is actually hugely, maybe I don't want to use the word hugely in light of, it makes me remind remind me of one guy who's like huge. Uh, What's another word? Give me another word for hugely. Hugely. Is very dependent. Is very dependent. Maybe. Is very dependent on our commitment to friendology. The study of friendships. Now, all of you grammar, not nerds, almost, are, are like, that's not a real word. Well, I just made one up, okay? So, welcome. So, to better understand the importance of friendship, I want to take us to something that Jesus said in what was arguably one of his last teachings before he went and submitted his life to be beaten, to be scourged, be crucified, to die, to suffer the greatest. This is this is a, this is one of the one. This is found in, in one probably one of the last teachings. So Jesus was really choosing his words carefully here. Not that he didn't before, 
But here's the stuff that he really wanted his disciples to hear. And here's what it says in John 15. I want us to start at verse 9. It says this, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, I have told you these things so that my joy may be complete in you and your joy may be complete. How many of you would love more joy, would love to know that your life is the depiction of joy complete? It's found in Jesus, okay? It's found in Jesus. But let's go on. That's that just a side note. Verse 12. This is my command. By the way, <clears throat> whenever we hear Jesus say, this is my command, uh, if you have a pen, you might want to underline that. That's pretty important. <laughs> when Jesus goes, this is my command, we should all go, okay, Jesus, what are you going to say? Here's what it says. Love one another. Okay, I could do that. As I have loved you. Ooh. That's a pretty high bar. And they didn't know yet that the bar was going to be set even higher because it was going to be set at the cross. No one has greater love to lay down his life for his friends. Here's a little bit of illusion, right? Jesus is kind of tipping his hat. In fact, in his mind, he was like, I've told you guys this tons and tons of times, but I'm just going to remind you, no one has greater love than this, than what? To lay down his life for what? His what? What? Friends. Listen to this. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you what? Friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. So, I'm going to admit right now. There is so much that we can glean from this passage of Scripture. Such a great chapter of the Gospels, this John 15. We could actually go on. But what I want to camp on is this, un, um, really this, 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 this unavoidable truth that when you place these words in the context of what is the narrative of the Gospel of Jesus— what you'll see is that Jesus was teaching something to his disciples that he was also going to model and in turn set the bar for what true friendship requires. Jesus was teaching about what makes for true friendship and then Jesus was actually going to display this. And what was this? We think of the cross as the ultimate sign of what? Sacrifice, right? 
And why is that? Because Jesus wanted us to know that true friendship requires sacrifice. Jesus taught that the greatest display of friendship was sacrifice. Not only by teaching it, but by modeling it. Specifically, Jesus was speaking about the sacrifice he was going to make to prove his commitment to being a true friend by giving up what he had really every right to hold on to so that we could gain something we deserved no access to. Do you realize that? He gave up what he had every right to hold on to so we could gain something we had no right, no access to. This was the love of Jesus. This was how Jesus extended friendship. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have right relationship with God. The Bible calls this being reconciled to God. The interesting thing about this idea of reconciliation is a big word, big fancy word in the Bible is that there are, and I'm not going to do a whole word study on it. I don't want to bore you with that. But if you, if you, it's very interesting. Do, if you do a word study on this, this concept of reconciliation in the Bible, it is apparent that, our, that there are very, very clear connections to this idea of friendship. In fact, one translation of Romans chapter 5, which talks about this idea of reconciliation, actually translates it like this. Romans 5, 6 to 11 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You've heard me say this verse a lot. But here's the next part. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our, I love what they say, this translation says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Look at the word choices here. Our friendship with God was restored because of the son while we were still his enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, guess what? Friends of God. Some of you are going, I am a friend of God. Remember, remember that song from like early 2000s? He calls me friend. That was the whole song, literally. That was just the whole song. I am a friend. I am a friend. Anyways. Now, some of you may be asking, why does Jesus get to define what friendship looks like? Like, Phil, I mean, I mean, I get it. You're a pastor and, you know, Jesus defines everything. But like, seriously, though, Phil, like, why does Jesus get to define what friendship looks like? And that's a really good question. Because the truth is that all of us get our definition of what true friendships looks like from somewhere. We all have an idea of what true friendship should look like. And we get it from somewhere. Many people define true friendship through the lens of what, uh, what I like to call a personal happiness paradigm. A true friend is one that does not disrupt my pursuit of a happy life, right? Happiness paradigm is, is, is that I view things as, it, things are placed in categories in reference to whether they make my life 
easy to pursue happiness or difficult to pursue happiness, right? So some people do that. The problem with this is twofold. How many of you have ever pursued something that you felt was good for you, but in the end you found out that it was not good for you? How many of you have ever done something like that? You thought, you thought it was good for you, but in hindsight you're like, no, that probably wasn't too good for me. We've done that. We've all done that, right? I've done that. You've done that. We've all done that. So the first problem is that what's often best for us is not, I'm going to trigger some of you, is not what we feel is best for us. Okay? Like, I know, you feel really strongly. Like, I really need this. It's what I really want. This is what I want out of my friends. It's what I need. Listen, you might, but there is a reality that often what's best for us is not what we feel is best for us. Second, how many of you have ever made a decision to do something that you knew was not good for you? How many of you did something fully knowing that if you were going to give advice to yourself or if your friend asked you, hey, I'm going to do this thing, I think I'm going to do this thing, what do you think I should do? And you'd be like, girlfriend, you are crazy. You did that. How many of you? Yep, we've all done it, right? We've all done things that we know that we are not supposed to do. And so, the second problem is that even though when we know what's best for us, (laughs) we don't often pursue what's best for us. Why? Because we do what what makes us what we feel happy, right? We pursue happiness, and happiness is deceiving So while I may not be able to answer all the questions some may have regarding the skepticism around Jesus in the Bible, I believe that Jesus gets to define true friendship because Jesus taught and demonstrated what you and I instinctively know and what all the most extraordinary narratives through all our history and blockbuster movies of today portray. And what is that? Something that John 15, 13 says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for friends. You know this. I know this. All the Marvel movies know this, (laughs) right? No greater love than this, to lay down your life for friends. If you're not a skeptic, and you do admit that you've decided to follow Jesus, the even more impressive thing about this idea of friendship is this. Jesus' words and actions not only includes a description of what true friendship looks like, but Jesus also commands us to do something. In just the verse before what we read that says no greater love than this to lay down a life for a friend, it says this, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. And so really, this series about friendology is another way that I could remind us as followers of Jesus that ultimately we are to love. And I know that word gets thrown around in many different ways. And so let's just get super specific. 
We are to love as Jesus loved. And so, with that said, if you believe that building friendships and being a friend was a non-negotiable part of being a disciple of Jesus, then today I want to take what Bible scholars would call a systematic theological approach to exploring the topic of friendships as sacrifice with the hope that we can understand true friendship through the lens of Scripture with clarity. So to do this, I want to read to you something from Proverbs 27, 17 that says this, and some of you might know this as I even read it. It goes like this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens what? A friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens one another, right? If you, if you know the old King James. If you're taking notes, what do we pull from this very, very common theme of Scripture? Well, first is this. Friendships is a refining process. Friendships are, oh, I have a thing over there. Where's that? Can you see that black box right there on top of the camera case? Nope. Up. One more. Yep. Yep. Bring that to me. Bring it. Nope. That's not it. Where's it at? It's a black case. Black case. Oh, where's it at? Where is it? Is it? Is it? Is that it? Yeah. Bring that to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, this is my son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Listen, there are many reasons a person can pick on me for, okay? I am like the most easy person to pick on. And those of you who love me, enjoy that. All right. And one of the things that my wife loves to pick on me about, and I'm going to talk about her because she ain't here. <laughs> um, but one of the things that she loves to, to make fun of me for is my fascination with sharpening knives. Okay. Right. I, don't judge me already. You're laughing and judging. Okay. The ju- I can feel it. Um, I love to sharpen knives. I know it's weird. So hang with me. Uh, I, I actually, in fact, have tons of different kind of narf, 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 narf. Okay. I have tons of different narf, uh, knife sharpening systems. But the one that I like the most is my Lansky Deluxe Sharpening System. Oh, yeah. Do I have fellow knife sharpening lovers? Come on. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. You're a cook. All right, so you appreciate that. So listen, compared to other sharpeners, this one, besides maybe the Japanese knife sharpening systems, because we all know that's number one, okay? All right, but I can't afford that, all right? So not, I'm feeling self-conscious now, because anyways. Compared to other knife sharpening systems, this one far outperforms when it comes to bringing a knife to a razor sharp edge. The downside of this knife sharpening system is that, as you can see, it requires four. Sometimes you have to use the fifth one. These are sharpening stones, okay? And, and then you have to like seat the knife correctly on the clamp. And sometimes it doesn't want to hold, like if it's a weird geometry, like let's seat it on, you have to, and then, and then you have to choose the right angle. Cause like, am I, am I, am I sharpening a fillet knife? Cause that angle is different than, you know, like my, my pocket knife. And so like, you know, or, or my camp knife, those are two different things. So, you know, this is, it's pretty involved, right? And, and you can't, sharpen knives at all the same angle, same angle because, you know, and, and really this system accounts for it. Now, why do I bring that all up? First of all, I'm proud about this and I wanted to show it off. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I have a, um, on a serious note, I, I, I have an, ex- there, there's a point to this. Understanding how true friendships are forged is very similar according to the scripture. The verse we just read, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And so 
one of the things you need to know is that when you sharpen things correctly and when you sharpen them to the end that it's most useful and effective, it requires a process that takes time. It takes time. And this is why friendship requires sacrifice. The temptation too many of us succumb to is misinterpreting what I like to call ease of connection as a defining metric for measuring the possible quality of a relationship. I do this, just so you know. I'm not like dogging on anybody. Like we all fall to this temptation. It sounds like this. Hey, we like the same things. We must be friends. Hey, we believe the same things. (laughs) Oh, I knew I liked you. You and me, are friends. Hey, you know what? Everybody here is annoying, but you don't annoy me. I guess we're meant to be friends. If you do everything I like to do and nothing that I don't like to do, well then guess what? You and me, we can be friends. Some of you are like, "Mm, yeah, I have no problems with what you just said. The problem with this approach to friendship, unfortunately, is that what you get if this is your pure motivation, are people who are really not truly friends. Now, before you disagree with me, think about it. What do you get when you align yourself with people who look like you, think like you? What you get is a click. Or at worst, you have created for yourself a cult. If that sounds harsh, let me remind you, you can't rush true friendship because true friendship requires the sacrifice of time. As one sharpens one another, so what? A friend sharpens a friend. The other reason why you can't rush friendship is the same reason you can't rush a knife into a razor-like blade. As you can imagine, sharpening a knife with this sharpening system is not a fast process. In fact, uh, there's another thing in here. It's called honing oil, okay? Right? So you have to like put the honing oil. You have to clean it off the first one. And as you can see, I didn't because I got lazy. So you clean that off, put it off. And then you, got, you can't sp- spill it on yourself. And, and let me just tell you, there are some oil stains in my clothes that I've accidentally got honing oil on that my wife is still ticked at me about. But it, it's messy, Like, this system is, like, messy, right? But here's the thing. After time has been taken, effort, maybe even a little messiness, has been endured, you eventually get a sharp knife. So, okay, enough of this. What what does really all this have to do with True friendships. Here's the point. You'll know that you're a good friend if you make the people around you better. And, and if you're allowing those same people to make you better. Iron sharpening iron. 
If it's only one direction, you're just a hero. But if you sharpen and allow yourself to be sharpened, now you're on the pathway to being a true friend. The only problem is that friendships, the good ones, the true ones, because of this sharpening process, there's a problem. Friendships will eventually be the source of pain because growth requires change. And change is often not a painless process. See, true friendship requires the sacrifice of who you are for who God desires what you are to be. It requires the sacrifice of who you are for who God desires you to be. And this leads us to the most challenging part of embracing friendship as sacrifice. We started with Proverbs 27. We're actually going to skip a few verses back. In verse 6, it says this, Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Any of you ever heard that proverb, right? And what I want to highlight is just this, this truth. And don't get offended by this, and I'm not trying to make a pun, but <laughs> we cannot become better at building friendships if we're easily offended. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14 says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must. I don't know if you read your Bible this way, followers of Jesus. Whenever you see things like you must, this is my command. I don't know. That just makes me go like, all right, I better lean in. And it's probably going to hurt. <laughs> you must. When I read that, that means there's a propensity to not do. That's revealing. So what does Colossians say? You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. 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 And forgive, forgive, forgive anyone, anyone, anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Ah, oh, Paul, you and your Jesus card. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. There's another portion of Scripture, portion, portion. There's another portion of Scripture uh, we go to that is often read at weddings. We often call the love chapter. Anyone know what that is? First Corinthians what? 13. And this same apostle who wrote Colossians teaches in this chapter one of the hallmarks of what love looks like. And it, in that definition, is the characteristic of someone who isn't easily offended, or it says, is not easily irritated, or easily angered. And here's the point. And I'm preaching at myself, by the way, first. Promise you. I promise you. But when I was studying for this, it's just so clear. 
that you can't hope to be a true friend if everyone around you is a dummy. You can't hope to be a true friend if everyone around you is just an idiot. If everyone around me is dumb and doesn't get it, chances are I'm not going to be a good friend. And let me be just transparent for a second. This is hard for me. Those of you who know me, I'm super opinionated. Anyone else opinionated? Right? Belief is one of my things in my, like, I believe some things. And, but here's the thing. As I search the scriptures and study the life and teachings of Jesus and allow God's Holy Spirit to convict my heart of my sin and allow him to transform me into Christ's likeness, I'll just share this with you. What I'm increasingly learning is that I cannot learn and grow into what it takes to become a true friend. And, and by the way, like, where are we going with this? Is this serious about becoming friends? No. Friendship is, remember, the foundation of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, and ultimately, I'm not hiding this, do you want to make disciples? Do you want to see people in your circles of influence come to know Jesus, to confess Christ as Lord? We got to learn how to become good friends. And right now, I see a lot of Christians that think they're being good friends but they're just, they just, for some reason, they forgot what Jesus taught and what he modeled. And what I've learned is that what it takes to become a true friend is that I can't be investing all my time investing on uh, obsessing over how offended I am or how irritated I am or how everyone's so stupid and nobody gets it. I cannot become a true friend when I'm investing all this energy into that. And what makes it even harder is that our current culture celebrates this kind of thinking and living. You can watch the news. You, you browse social media. Or you, you even have some conversations with acquaintances over lunch and coffee. And you can't have these kind of conversations, these interactions, whether it's with the news, social media, or, with, or just friends passing by, without eventually hearing someone complain about how offended they are by this. Or I'm irritated by that. Can you believe this? Can you believe that? Right? I mean, it's, it's I notice that we're in this soccer season, and I can't tell you, like, the years and years we were in soccer sidelines, sure, we would talk about stuff, but man, there's just so much complaining going on. And I get a lot of grace because you know, a lot of these people aren't, they don't proclaim to be followers of Jesus. But what, what breaks my heart is when I see myself engaging in behavior that I know Jesus would not be happy in. First of all, it's a waste of my time. It's impossible to embrace friendship as sacrifice if you're too busy embracing your, defen- your offenses. Okay, that's the point. It's impossible to embrace friendship as sacrifice if you're too busy embracing your offenses. It's hard to put your energies into doing things that bring reconciliation if you're spending all your time clinging to your rights. Is that clear? I hope it is. If you don't like that, let me just read something to you from Philippians that says this. 
Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. This is a phrase that literally means he was God. And he could have maintained godness, but he let it go. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Now, he was both fully God, fully man. I don't want to confuse you on that very uh, important theological understanding. I'm not saying that Jesus was not all along God. But to embrace humanity, there was a part of him that had to, what? Sacrifice. He said he appeared in human form, humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death. This is the Lord Almighty. This is the one who never sinned. This is the one whose message was to love. This is the one who's one who promised peace and who promised holiness and who preached this idea of blessed are the poor. And so he died a criminal's death. You understand like, the, like the, the, the implications of all that? I don't, I don't know if, if that hits you sometimes. Whew. You still like me? Is that okay? Listen, I'm going to invite our musicians to come back. And in a few minutes, they're going to lead us in a time of worship where really I, I just, if, if all you do is just are informed and reminded about how Jesus' sacrificial friendship was demonstrated to us, that would be fine. But before we do that, in light of what the, the scripture has defined as true friendship and what really Jesus has defined and demonstrated a sacrificial friendship. If you have come to realize that you have been living in ways that are incongruent with God's standards, especially when it comes to this idea of friendship, listen, if something I said might have triggered you, that's good news. Because that means the Holy Spirit is working to convict your heart and lead you to repentance. We could do that today. I'm going to do that today. Because I know that I can easily embrace my irritations and my offenses and be distracted from what it means to be someone who embraces friendship like Jesus. And listen, if you're fighting the conviction you're feeling to embrace sacrifice, let me just ask this question. Who wins who wins when you invest your time inventing your offenses and irritations instead of investing your time in being a true friend and building true friendships with people already in your circle of influence? Who wins when we spend our energy and our time Embracing our offenses, resisting sacrifice, instead of being a true friend and building friendships with all the people, not just some, in our circles of influences. I think maybe we are not seeing as many people proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord because 
we have fallen to the temptation that our culture has perfectly set up for us. Go ahead. Waste your time. Embrace your offenses. But I think all it does is divide us. And for those of us who love and follow Jesus, it distracts us from actually embracing what it means to love like Jesus. And whether you find yourself confronted with the fact that you have a lot of areas to grow in when it comes to embracing friendship as sacrifice, or maybe you're someone that God has actually been gracious to over the years, and you have been sacrificing, it does us all good to be reminded that the model for our lives and the kind of friendships and the way we are to build true friendships is rooted in the reality of the sacrificial and reckless love of God.